ati hei mauri ora, e ngā mana, e ngā reo, e rau rangatirama. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Kia ora, and welcome to Tamangai, uh, your weekly Indigenous podcast show uh, called Steve Takawingawa and our sound engineer tonight uh, called Greg Takawinga. Uh, thanks for listening in to, to Mangai, uh, the mouthpiece uh, here this evening. Our weekly podcast uh, for you, the Fano, friends, and people of all walks of life, to be informed through these uh, storytelling uh, that our guests uh, share with us and powered with uh, some relevant knowledge, hopefully, that uh, you can use. And uh, best of all, just have a laugh. So, uh, Tonight, we're, uh, it's a great pleasure to have with us uh, Brad Harmy. Uh, kia ora, Brad. Kia ora, Steve. How are you? Good, good. Excellent. Oh, well, it's, thanks for coming on to the show. Uh, great to have you. Um, tonight, uh, we've invited Brad to come in. Uh, Brad's going to be sharing uh, with us a little bit about his life story. Uh, for those that know Brad, uh, he kind of has a lot of um, knowledge around uh, ancient indigenous practice, uh, knows a thing or two about whales, so I've heard. So look forward to hearing a bit about that tonight, maybe, Brad. Uh, so, yeah, no, thanks for coming in. So uh, we'll get started tonight. Bro, tell us, uh, who, who are you and where are you from? Oh, kia ora. So my name's uh, uh, Brad Ford. Uh, Joseph Tiapatu Oterangi Makahami, and I'm from, uh, well, I live in West Auckland, hey. just, just around the corner from uh, Steve uh, Hutana, <laughs> a very famous architect. And um, But I'm actually from uh, Whakatani originally, um, because that's where I was, I suppose, brought up. Um, did a little bit of stint in Australia, and um, uh, our marae is Waraka Marae. In, uh, at the, at the uh, Te Whareo Toroa, uh, and, uh, but for years I've lived in Auckland, so yeah, that, that's who I am. Oh, no, cool, cool. Now, if, when I'm talking to people that, you know, I say that I know you, um, the, are a lot of people are aware of your grandfather, uh, Dr. Maka and uh, his that medical practice down at uh, Fakatane that he used to have, eh? Yeah. And I must admit, it's quite amazing when you go around the mutu, the numbers of people that actually still remember, have a fondness of the the old doctor's practice and, and your grandfather. Um, can you tell us a little bit about him? Uh, how did he get started? And and what's his story with China? Because he did something over there too, eh? If you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, cool. I, um, as you know, I'm, I've been writing for a while, and the first book that I ever wrote was on my grandfather's uh, life story. And, ah. yeah, his name was um, Dr. His, he had this weird name, or amazing name, Gollan Marker. So his name was Dr. Gollan Marker. Like as in Gollum. As in Colin. No, no, I, when I, I remember watching that film, Sorry. Going, oh no, that, his name's uh, Gollum. Oh no, it's Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's as in Gollum Kill Heights. Or, awesome. You know, ah. um, the Gollum Heights in Israel and there's Gollum Heights in Wellington. Um, uh, and oh, so, okay. yeah, well, he was a doctor. He was um, uh, seen as one of the first do- Māori doctors to own his own practice, actually. 
Uh, well, that's uh, that's what uh, our family records say. Um, he uh, went to Otago University. I think he was the first in his family or his tribal area to go to university and get some kind of uh, um, tertiary education. Um, he uh, studied in Otago. He did his thesis on, on uh, Ratana Pa, on the medical, <coughs> what the, the you know um, the health of the people at Ratana Pa. That oh, was right. his, um, his thesis actually, um, and um, he had to do it in secret because they didn't like the media. And they didn't like people studying them. So he had an uncle of his really? who was uh, one of the um, Apotoro for uh, Ratana, and he just oh. kind of hung out with him wow. and uh, wrote this thesis. So I was lucky to get the handwritten copy of it. Um, but he ended up uh, at um, Napier Hospital when the earthquake happened in 1931. Um, oh, so wow. he was in in the hospital itself when the earthquake hit. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and stuff like that. So, um, but he then he joined the at some point he joined um, the um, Red Cross uh, for China, the Far East Relief uh, Unit. So he went there as a doctor to China in nineteen, uh, gee, nineteen thirty six, I think it was, and um, basically ended up in the middle of a war <laughs> between oh, when Japan oh. was. Uh, you know, um, invading China. He ended up in the court of Chiang Kai-shek, who was the ruler of China at the time, um, and basically following his court down the Yangtze River to Chongqing and basically oh. travelling up through the villages where the armies were. Um, uh, hang on, so we're talking about the Chinese emperor here? Yes. No, not the emperor. He was the, oh, the nationalist leader the nationalist of China leader. at the time. So he ended wow. up as part of that court. I think his... Um, uh, leadership was based in uh, Shanghai, right? But they had to shift inland to Chongqing, and for some reason, my grandfather happened to go with them. So he learned a lot of his medical knowledge around skin disease, which he became famous for in New Zealand, came from his time in China. Okay, um, and um, so he um, he was there for uh, um, probably just under two years. Um, saw a lot of death. But uh, learnt a lot of things there, really, and um, must have gone flying at some times. But he, because he, he never liked flying after that, <laughs> made him in a bit shaky. <laughs> and you know, raiders always trying wow. to kill you and things like that. And um, so, on his return, he came back. You know, came back to New Zealand. Um, he wanted to go in the Maori Battalion with uh, as a medic. Mm. Uh, but wasn't um, Apirana Ngata uh, felt that he'd already done his time, it served in war, uh, and they needed his services here at, right. here at home. But my grandfather kind of felt, well, he was the only trained medic that was Māori, that had been in a war situation, he, he could have been a lot yeah. of help. So he always had it in for Apirana, Apirana Ngata for <coughs> not letting him go, um, because he wanted to become go to war with his... Um, with the boys With his people yeah. You know yeah. But um, You know If he didn't go to war I probably might not Actually be here today So anyway <laughs> In the end He ended up in Whakatani And met my grandmother uh, Who was uh, Working in a shoe shop In the town uh, That's just one of the few Māori that had a job In the town <laughs> And he was driving past the, the shoe shop And she was in the window Dressing the window And he just stopped the car And goes I'm going to marry that woman If, uh, if she'll have me <laughs> 
Like this, and then she, he used to stalk her, so he'd sit in his car with a oh. newspaper cut two, cut <laughs> no two eyes out, you know, so you can follow her like this. <laughs> and then when she's walking home, he'd, he'd follow her along, stalking her, you know. <laughs> oh, and, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, and her, her boss would go, oh, you know, um, Mrs. Stewart, that, that man is out there. <laughs> Uh, and anyway, eventually met her, they got married and um, lived in Fakatani for, I don't know, 40 years as a doctor, serving the local people, never charged them a cent, um, because he felt the people, the Māori people there were very poor, so he didn't really want to charge them. Um, so he had 100 people a day turn up to their house, Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah. He, he served them medically, um, and then went and had a drink with them afterwards. <laughs> Which was normal male practice in those days. Um, yeah. And uh, I suppose that there are a lot of stories about him. And, and uh, since I wrote that book, you know, uh, man, I could write another 10 books since the amount of people that have um, told me their stories. You know. Yeah. So, uh, Brad, that book, so that, did that, that started the journey uh, for you in some ways? Um, in, in terms of writing it, did yeah. I? I did journalism, mm. which I hated. I mean, who does oh. what? Maori does journalism, because then you know you have to get out of this straitjacket of fuckama shame and actually go and talk to people. Well, no Maori in his right mind would do that, or young people. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, who, what, what? You know, there's a famous uncle of mine. He, he, you know, got a few of us in to come and do this course in uh, Rotorua. Oh. On journalism, so that's how I got in there, and um, I was like, "Holy heck, man!" You know, <laughs> you know. But anyway, I got a good job out of it in television and in multi programs at TVNZ. Work there, you know. We made a lot of lot of programming, and um, but then I started. I thought, you know what? I have to write my grandfather's story because no one else will do it. And if the old people who are still alive pass away. Uh, that story will be lost, or it will be hard to yeah. get it back. And yeah. so I finished um, working at TVNZ and actually went and lived with my grandmother, went back home to Fakatani and spent oh. two years sitting at the table just tapping out stories. that or People would come in the house and tell us a story. Uh, yeah, I'll put that there. Wow. And, and, and did a series of interviews. Um, did it, got some money uh, from the Oral History Awards yeah, um, right. to help collect stories orally. Um, and then wrote this book. That was the first book I ever wrote. Um, wow. And I wish I could rewrite it because, actually, I didn't know anything about writing then. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, no, I'm going to do this. You just do it and <laughs> put it out. Own. And yeah. I look at it now and go, man, if, what I know now about writing, if I could go back then, I, I would rewrite it. Yeah, um, well, I for think... For lot, lots of different reasons, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that... Well, it sounds like so that insp- inspired you. You started to then collect uh, these narratives, people's accounts, uh, mixing that with your journalism work. Did you say with the yeah. TV company there? Yeah. No, um, yeah. I, well, uh, my interest in writing came actually as a kid, actually, because we lived in my grandfather's house, and he always had this library of books. Um, but they were always kind of tapu, you know. Ooh, don't, <laughs> don't, don't touch, don't that touch book. that. Don't touch those Maori books, you know, kind of thing. Oh, they were really? Tapu, you know. Yeah, yeah. And my mum and them lived like that. They were never allowed to touch all the Maori books, you know. And most of the academic 
the men in those days who who were learned, the Māori men, they all had their own libraries. And so my grandfather had a library of every Māori book that ever come out, first editions. But we used to go and he had a suitcase. And in the suitcase had all of these manuscript writings. And, and we used to go in there while my grandparents were still asleep. We'd creep in the room and open this bag. <laughs> you know, and there's these papers in it with all this amazing writing. It was all in Māori, you see. Yeah, yeah. And we go, man, look at this. You know, like 1860s stuff. And then my brother would be down the end of the passage just making sure my grandparents are asleep so we don't, you know, because we get a hiding this okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. You know, but, familiar, bro. Yeah, yeah. But seeing those writings actually really kind of, um, I, I was always interested in, man, so what they're actually talking about. Well, whose writing is this anyway? Mm, you yeah. Know? And yeah, um, yeah. it was just fascinated me, you know. And I, I suppose my grandfather used to encourage me to buy me books on animals and photos and. Um, you know, like animal yeah. books or whatever, um, and uh, that's how I got okay. really interested because I wanted to know what are they writing writing about. So yeah. Um, yeah. journalism kind of added to that, the art of questioning and story. You know, searching out a story. Not that I was any good at it. You know, I hated news. <laughs> right. um, yeah, because it was just I don't know um, too immediate, which wasn't wasn't really me. But yeah. I like picture storytelling, and you know we did a lot, lot of good work on programs like Koha, Marae, Wakawia. Mm. Man, learned a lot, man. Yeah, Just yeah. travelling around. Um, yeah, we interviewed the whalers once. You know? <laughs> what was sorry, like? Tim, I have to tell the story, bro. You heard it live here. Yeah, on me, me and Tim went to Morrison. <laughs> we went out and interviewed the whalers. Bob Marley had passed away, but the whalers were staying at a hotel in Avondale, and we went out there and interviewed them. But, um, you know, we all loved Bob Marley and loved reggae, mm. you know, but we didn't really know too much about it. And um, I remember Tim asking a question while we were sitting there. He said, oh, so where does the inspiration for your your songs come from? And it was, uh, I think it was Family Man Barrett. He was, um, you know, one of the Barrett brothers in the band. And he goes, from the Ed Creator, man. And like this, and Tim goes, the Egg Creator, <laughs> what's the egg creator like this? <laughs> and we're all yeah. going, oh my gosh, like this. And the guy goes, no, the head creator, you know, God, like this. <laughs> and we do, we never, um, old Tim, we never lived that down, man. You know, we just yeah, laughed yeah, our heads yeah. off. So, stuff we used to get up to, we did awesome things, but I suppose writing really intrigued me because I was interested in story. But getting into greater depth of a story, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you seem to um, you like like one of the things that I want to hear about is this whale. You've got some really amazing knowledge about the about whales, and you, I know because we hang out, you're always sort of gathering information about that. Um, yep. How's that going? Or where's yeah, that it's going? A, it's a bit stuck at the moment. <laughs> I mean, I've got a manuscript on my computer that's been there for like seven years all about whales, about the Māori relationship to marine mammals. And um, I was working with an auntie mine, you know, who's a bit of a whale rider, and she studied whales and lived with them and that. And uh, But it's still sitting on my computer, so I have to actually finish it, you know. So the whole world will know 
about what a whale writer is. <laughs> yeah, because anyone that knows you, Fred, if you go, there's a whale narrative. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose because we were all brought up with that story of Te Tahi or Te Rangi in Whakatani, yeah, yeah, yeah. who was our ancestor who rode a whale from White Island yeah, to Whakatani. Yeah. So we just were brought up with that story, yeah. uh, and that's pretty normal. When you see a whale, just jump on its back and yeah. ride it. Uh, Kia ora, we have Paikia as, as well. You know? Yeah, Paikia is over there. Te Tahi or Te Rangi is kind of bigger than him, though. It's a bit of a shout out here for everyone want to see that book. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've been studying the idea of what a whale rider is, what it means, but more a lot of the knowledge around our our own pre-European and pre-whaling history and tradition about whales. So, yeah, be looking out for that. Um, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll put it out to one day, seven years. (laughs) Brad, can I just say um, it, it it was a privilege of mine to stay at Brad's grandparents' house for one night. And, uh, you know, when we think of doctors these days, we think of mansions and, you know, excessive lifestyle because they earn so much. But uh, as Brad had shared, he, his, you know, grandparents were all about giving to the community. So that house was by no means a palace when I stayed there, which I'm sure was a lot of years later. But it was such a privilege to be in that space knowing that they had given so much of themselves to the local community, and it's just a beautiful story. So oh, yeah. it's wonderful yeah. that you share that with us and our yeah. listeners today, Brad. Thank you so much. Yeah, the way you do it there, eh? I mean, I've stayed there plenty of times. It's so beautiful, and I mean, uh, it's yeah. just, uh, the Modi's just wonderful, especially the old Pahutakawa tree outside. Yeah, the front. Uh, wow, uh, that was that's something pretty special, knowing how many thousands of Māori have sat there waiting to see the doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was a, pr- a property of prayer too. A lot of prayer went around there because a lot yeah. of the, the people that would come, you know, where, where, where there's sickness and that, they'd pray around the whole property, wow. all the old people. And then my grandmother, she was a real prayer person as well. And she um, she was like the angel of Fakatani. that's what people said, because oh, she'd wow. pray and people would come over and Tell her all their problems, and then she pray for them. <laughs> that's how why we know lots of gossip about all the families in town. You know, <laughs> so one day we'll tell you about it. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. She, what was her name? So her name was Florence Ramari Marker, and her last name was Stewart. And she was from uh, um, Fakatani, and her, her mother was from Mahia Peninsula or Gisborne, Mahia Peninsula. And, um, yeah, she used to pray for me because every time I was in a car accident, she'd ring me up and go, were you in a, were you in a car accident? What? Um, yeah. So how did you know? Yeah. Oh, God told me and I saw you in a vision. So, you know, so I'm kind of wow. alive because of her prayers, really. Oh, killed her. Oh, yeah. Good. Well, <clears throat> well, I've got a question here. Why biographies? Because you've done a few of them now. Um Maybe tell us if you could tell us a little bit. Yeah, what draws you to that? Uh, I mean, it seems pretty natural. I think the extension of what you've been sharing, but yeah. can you sort of enlighten us a bit more around that? Because you've how many have you written now? Six. Uh, well, oh, in terms of biographies, I've done in one, two, three, four. I don't know, five biographies. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So the first book that I wrote was my grandfather's life story. That was. Um, a biography of a sort because uh, he had passed away, and then I did uh, Tuhoi Isaac's book, which was a biography mm. of um, uh, Tuhoi as a mongrel mob gang leader, 
Yeah, it's pretty hard out that one. Eh? Yeah, it's a pretty I've hard read. Eh? The block. Some pretty uh, <laughs> amazing kind of stories actually out of that out of that book. Um, and then uh, I just finished one on uh, Ike Samuels, who was a Komatu who lived in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, as I've got a missionary. That book. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, Get, yeah, for the listeners out there, uh, that is uh, an awesome book, awesome account. From a, um, a great man there in Morrinsville, eh? and uh, being a missionary, the first Māori missionary eh, to Papua New Guinea, what was that in the 1960s, eh? Yes, uh, yeah, I, j- I can't remember the date, but yeah, he was over there for a time. And then I've uh, been working on another biography for a few years about um, a, a, a woman from Fakatani, illustrious woman over there who worked in the health system um, in Auckland hospitals here, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, and. Uh, we're hoping to put that book out next year. Um, Are you able to tell us what the name of that one is? Oh, we're not sure what the not name sure. it is, it's, uh, it, but it's about cultural safety. Um, and it's on, oh. uh, I interviewed a woman, her name is uh, Amohaere Tangitu. Okay. Her name. And she was involved since uh, the, the late 80s, the mid-80s, in uh, Princess Mary Hospital in, in Auckland here. Uh, in <clears throat> implementing cultural, culturally appropriate care for our patients, culturally culturally, culturally appropriate, appropriate care, care which then that? became cultural safety. So, uh, I asked her when I first started. I was asked to do this book. I said to Amor Hari, I said, "Oh, well, tell me a story about you know what this means, because you know <laughs> health and hospitals is pretty." Boring subject, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so she told me a story about an old old uh, komatua who um, wasn't really complying with the nurses in the ward. He was, uh, you know, talking Maori and not not really interested, and he wouldn't wouldn't do what they said, and he was oh. angry. And so they were like, "What are we going to do with this man? You know, do a psych test on him and put him in ward ten or something?" You know, what? <laughs> <laughs> and um. Anyway, they asked Amohaere to come up and see him, so she walks in and says to him, the, uh, the komatu, oh, what, um, you okay, Koro? You know, had to mate, you know. And uh, he said, well, I, actually, I just want my leg back. You know, um, they've cut <laughs> my leg, leg off. Yeah, because he, he'd had oh, a, 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 a um, amputated. amputation leg. Oh, oh. But he wanted his leg back so he could take it home and bury it with him, you know. Oh, yeah. And she goes, yeah, well, that's... Pretty reasonable. So she, she went to talk to the nurse on the ward. Look, he just actually wants his leg back, and she goes, "Well, why?" And oh, she's like, "Well, because it's his leg." And um, yeah, but no one, no one in New Zealand's asked for their leg back or anybody part for that part. You know, <laughs> well, where does, you know, why does he want his leg back? And he says, "Well, you know, it belongs to him, and you don't, you don't own it." And in the end, she had to go and find the leg herself um, and okay. found an orderly, took her to where all the body parts are in the bin. Um, Sifted around. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, and no. then she found his, found his leg in a bag. <laughs> oh. And uh, it was apparently the orderly said, lady, you've started something here. Like, you know, and, oh. and she just marched in and ended up in the boardroom with the head of police, the head of the hospital, the head of... Oh, wow. Uh, um, you know, funeral services, the head pathologist and uh, the head nurse of the hospital, and they said, what do you think you're doing? And she goes, well, see, this leg actually belongs to that man, doesn't belong to us. Yeah, but 
no one comes and no gets. one in New Zealand mm. wants their body body parts back. And she said, "Well, you haven't even asked them." And um, there was no such thing as consent forms to you know what do you want done with your body part after you've had an operation, right? Didn't exist, and they said, "Well, we can't do anything about it because there's no policies that exist in any hospital in New Zealand to actually oh, make it happen." Really? So you have a policy. The policy in, in enables the staff to do what they need to do, but it didn't exist. So what she was doing was actually illegal, or you didn't have the right to do it. So she wrote a policy out on a bit of paper there and there, saying you must ask people for the right to, you know. Yeah. And I'm going, I'm like, wow, yeah. this is an amazing story. <laughs> <laughs> well, and because we're focusing on writing, you, you, yeah. you wanted to call it all about that, which is great. So... You take that as as a narrative, yep. and well, I started. I've written her, her biography, and that's the first story I tell. Right oh, up in chapter wow. one, just because when you write something, you want you know, like a film. The first three minutes, you got to capture your audience. Go, dang! It's actually the first thirty seconds these days. Yeah, the first thirty <laughs> seconds. Maybe in twenty years, it'll be like the first three seconds. <laughs> But, you know, you want a story, people reading, you want a story that captures them. And, and yeah. so I kind of tell the story and what it took to get his leg back. To him. Wow. In the yeah. end, he goes. So they got the leg, gave it to the family, and, you know, everything was in the story. And then she goes, he, he says to her, Oh, um, dear, I need to talk to you. Number one, you're a woman. And number two, you're not Napui. So you shouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> And I put that in there, oh, I just thought, man, that's so hilarious. You know. Yeah, um, but yeah. that set up what cultural care is. So I just really interviewed her about her life, having to come up against really racist um, ideologies and, and really? institutionalised racism in the health sector and in government. She had to fight against that to be able to bring um, this way of just looking after people in, in the healthcare. Yeah, so bringing um, tikanga into yeah. and having it adopted and accepted. Yeah. So now, in you know, they have um, things like um, in the hospitals now they have uh, colour coded pillows, you know, but like this pillow with the little Planet of the Apes people on it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So they have colour coded pillows now that are you know because uh, some pillows you use for your backside and other pillows you use for your head. Aye. You know, but mm. you don't mix them. You know, because it's under Maori hygienic law, that's actually uh, breaks tapika. Yeah, you know. so yeah, and tika. so um, all of these little things that uh, you know, um, our, our Maori people or other people actually um, see as normal was never part of hospital care. So this whole story follows Amohaere as she goes through this whole system of bringing Maori language into the hospitals because yeah. the only language they would speak is English. Wow. Um, yeah, all that kind of thing. What a tremendous privilege uh, it must be to be able to gather those stories that really aren't publicly known uh, and yeah. all the realities of what's led to that uh, to raise yeah. awareness. Uh, I, mean, I suppose that's what brings you, makes it interesting, I take it? Yeah, I'm interested in yeah. people's stories, especially people who are not necessarily the top echelon of leaders. Right, but yeah. people, you know... You know, who are not necessarily known, but everyone knows them. Right. But their story yeah. isn't known. And, and so I'm, I, I like to talk to people and really get under the skin 
of who they really are, why they do things, what motivates them to do things. And Amohari's story is, when it comes out, it's a piece of history in Auckland, New Zealand's history, in the hospital system that not many people actually know. It's nothing written about it. Wow, yeah. You know, and um, she's a very amazing woman. And uh, I, I, I am privileged, really, to be able to sit with people like her and allow, you know, ask them all the hardest questions that I can think of, <laughs> you know, and um, really get inside their minds what's going on it's about the Māori world, about their world, about upbringing, and what they all have a message to say, you know. Yeah, so you're look, you're able to look at these contentions with colonialism, uh, post-colonialism, uh, Māori in the urban environment. How do you, how do yeah. we uh, retain and fight to, to retain those those things that are tika and pono? Uh, you have a really interesting insight. Hey, just for those who are listening in tonight, our, our special guest is Brad Harmy. Uh, he's just we're just focusing in tonight on, on really looking at his uh, uh, writing and how he, how he's doing that. So uh, no thanks, Brad. Um, can we just talk about your other book, uh, Kamo Tuhi? Yep. Wow. Um, I read that uh, Kamo Tuhi, Bub We. Uh, wow, what a what a what a read that was, and I, I really liked the way um, you kind of brought their life story out. It was really um, quite refreshing. It was easy to follow. Yeah. Uh, it certainly I was I, I felt was honest. Perhaps if I could put it that way, there was sort of some real honesty in there and, and the nitty gritty. Uh, what was it like writing writing that book? And uh, <clears throat> what would you say? Maybe is one thing out of that particular journey that that really highlighted something of interest that perhaps our listeners tonight really um, can take something from that because they had a huge influence. Uh, yeah. yeah, that book. Um, well, all my take books take a little bit of time because uh, I'm trying to get inside their heads, you know. So I was trying to yeah. get inside wow. Bub's thinking, you know, and. Um, um, and in Bub's book, it's more from his point of view. Actually, I think all the books I've written, Bub, uh, Ike, and Amuhari, all of their books are written from their point of view. Bub's book certainly was his voice. The whole book yes, was yeah. his voice. And so I had to get into his mind. What was that like? And inside his mouth. And so I'd get all the stories from everyone, and then I'd have to you know, think, okay, how, how would Bub say the story? You know, and wow. um, and you know, I was able to interview him, but then he he kind of wasn't very well, and he lost his memory uh, when we got to about 1984 or something. <laughs> <laughs> and the story, so I was like, like seriously, he was getting dementia. Was it? Was oh it no, he um, had Parkinson's, Parkinson's but right. it yeah, really yeah. kind of. Uh, and then he he'd go to hospital, his memory started to go, yeah. and yeah. so then it became a bigger family issue. Yeah. where the whole family had to get involved in the interviews. It was an honour to come to the book launch uh, and uh, to see him being honoured. Uh, yeah. It was just such a lovely night that uh, night. And Peter Sharples was there as well. And, oh, yeah, uh, Peter was funny. The Kapahaka group, eh? It was, it was just a tremendous privilege yeah. uh, to see a great man being honoured. Um, and so, obviously, he's... Well, what are they doing? What was that book about? Oh, well, I, actually, I remember meeting uh, his son, uh, Tarpeta and, and, uh, and right. his uh, Tarpeta's wife Annette, and they asked me if I would, you know, come around and meet and mm. see Dad. And, and I saw Bub and his wife at the doctor's one day, 
And he goes, oh, Nazio, Nazio. And I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the best Iwi, eh? And he goes, oh, I don't know about that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, they, I ended up going to his house around the corner from my place, you know, and um, and it was a bit of a trap because when I went there, there was one chair in the middle of the room. One the, chair? Yeah, and they're all standing, sitting around the oh, sides. Really? <laughs> And I'm going, okay, no this pressure. is set up. Yeah, yeah, no pressure. Uh, but the question I said to them if they wanted to write, and I, I was never a kapahaka person. I, you know, I like, love kapahaka, but I'm not obsessed by it or anything like that. No, no, yeah. <laughs> it's not really my world, although I, I compose stuff. But I said to Bub, I said, well, what what is it about kapahaka that you see as very important because I don't want to write something that's just about some guys who yeah. jump around and perform on a stage. You know, it's not. Tell me what, why it's important to you, you know. And Bub just said, well, Kapahaka was the avenue that he and his wife could teach a whole lost generation. Um, morality, uh, identity, and, uh, um, and what it really means to be whanau. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that, you know, he those were the three things: identity, uh, family, and moral, and a kind of moral sense of things. Being Maori, and I went, oh, okay, that's what it's about. So that was in my message at the, you know, like I have a message at the end of every book that every time I'm writing, because you're drawing on a lot of things, is all geared towards telling this message, you know. Um, and so, yeah, maintaining identity uh, and creating what whānau really means and, and a moral way of living. Yeah, an interesting thing, eh, uh, that identity, particularly in the urban space here where 75% of us Māori are living, yeah. uh, and how do we um, preserve our identity as Māori? And, uh, you know, especially for, for us, like Tonga Ahawati Te Iwi, Tokomaru Bay, and it's, yeah. it's a little way away. So, you know, we have to find ways in which to uh, keep the, the ahika, keep those home fires burning, you know. And um, in some ways that whānau are really instrumental, aren't they, in sort of finding ways in which to keep those cultural connections uh, alive. Yeah, I think Bub, Bub Wehi, Nan, Nan Wehi and his, their family are such a strong example of a real... Māori family living in the city, but still maintain strong links back home. Sure. And man, they, they, you know, I was privileged to be with them because they, they were such a great example of hold the real, can perform, you know, do the, know everyone around the country, maintain their identity, what it really means to be whānau and still live in the city. You know, they yeah. um, have a presence that I um, think was very amazing. You know. And on top of that, he's also they're instrumental as husband and wife writing the scores and these contemporary uh, messages in the kapahaka itself, right? Oh yeah, I loved Bub's view of composing to like his you know his hacker about <laughs> alcohol, <laughs> <laughs> alcohol drinking, you know. Oh. And, you know, like child abuse, you know, and he's, Ooh, you know... It's a really serious... Yeah, he, he's on a stage telling you, you know, why do you elders up there actually abuse our fiddle with our kids, mate? Whew. You know, and, and I... Man. You know, he wasn't scared to, you know, um, make a ruckus to bring up a subject. 
And um, I think I, I wrote in there that he, he always waited for, at home. He went back home and he'd sit at home and he'd wait for people to come and um, answer his taunt. And you know what? And he said no one ever came. Oh, really? You know, so wow. he, you know, he, he put out a wero on yeah. those haka and different things that he said. And no one ever came to actually either rebut him or to say, oh, yeah, I agree with that, bro. You know, or, but they never ever came. You know, so he, um, you got to go. What is that? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, his compositions. Okay. I, I just think, man, he, he was. Um, well, he, he changed a lot of things. He he brought an innovation really into the way of compos- composing Maori song and dance that really um, lifted uplifted. Uh, Kapahaka actually, Kyoto. you know, and mm. we took it to the world. Yes, yeah. you know, and yeah. I don't know all about the copyright issues, bros. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Lion King. I think they did a song with the Lion King and going, okay, <laughs> or, or Michael <laughs> Jackson or something. <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah. Kamo to here, yeah, yeah, good, great book. Um, for our listeners out there. Uh, get a copy. It uh, really is uh, inspiring uh, reading. Uh, yep. So, oh, kia ora, Brad. So, what else are you? Uh, what are you writing at the um, moment? Well, I just finished a book that's going to come out soon on urban Maori. What you know? Hey, eh? what does urban Maori? Urban Maori, you know, um, and about <laughs> urban Maori migration since the, you know uh, World War Two and up to today. What does that look like? And Oh. Um, like I've lived here in Auckland since 1986 and I haven't really had much time to go home uh, back to Fakatani, so you know I'm an urban Māori now Kia ora. so what does that mean <laughs> you know and um, as you say 75-80% of our people live in the city now we're not iwi we can link back to our iwi but we actually don't live in that world so you know yeah, what's that word who's for the, urban that describes Māori uh, that Māori word for urban Urban. Oh, um, oh what it? is that Maori word for? Oh, it's in, <laughs> oh you know. Um, oh, uh, if you went and lived in Australia, you're Nazi Skippy. You know me. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know uh, Mount Isa Taku Maunga, Kote Murray Taku Awa. Actually, Brad, I remember when I was went on holiday to Australia last year, and I met Brad at the. Um, the water park, which was oh, yeah, just yeah. crazy. On and the Gold Coast. Yeah, he was it? telling me then that uh, one of five Māori is now born in the Gold Coast, basically, and it was like, wow, that's incredible. But, yeah. Brad, just um, my thought would be the conversation we like to have on this show for for people listening is is how we can encourage them. Um, obviously, in, in the world you live in, it's, it's, we could consider that some academic and how that's impacted your life and, and that of your family and how how young people out there, not necessarily young, maybe older people who have, have not tried such a thing in their life to, to reach above mm. what they've oh, always right. done, how, how, how would you encourage them to maybe look at the world that you've been a part of and, and, and how that can be difficult but rewarding? Yeah, I um, agree. Yeah, that's a good question because I've got no letters on my name at all. I, I've never been to university I like. I'd love to go to university, but a lot of us have worked a lot in our lives, and we've still got to pay the rent. And if you go to university, on, there's no one. No one's going to pay your rent, man. 
So I've always, um, I've got to the point now of kind of, um, uh, what would you call it, you know, prizing. I see, I see the idea of not having any letters on my name as a prize, mm-hmm. you know, a real treasure, because, you know, half the fellows that are academics and got these silly hats and things on, Oh, um, oh. You know, oh, you got one of those hats. <laughs> Steve's got oh, one of those hats. Those special caps. I'll put it over here. Hats. You know, um, but in the the real academia and writing, you know, the, 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 a lot of them don't. You know, you do a thesis to actually publish your ideas, but most of them, yeah, which no do. one actually really reads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you if they were talking about, so on TV. you know, I, I um, I, I just think you don't have to be educated. In, a, in an academic world to actually accomplish things, you know. Um, I, I know I've got a calling to do certain things, um, and I live in that calling rather than it being a job, you know, although I want someone to pay my rent, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write your story, can you pay me some money and, uh, you know, and give me the freedom to write, you know. And yeah. But so to me, it's more about mastering what, you, what your call is. I mean, I'm not. I've never been to a writing school or anything, man. But I just do it because I love storytelling. I love the, mm. the act of mm. story of putting on a page that it's going to be read by the whole world. I don't really care about being famous, but I am. I care about a story having the power to transform people's lives by mm. reading it. So my thing's more about that. That, and, and I don't care if I can't write properly. I just write it the way I do it, then yeah. give it to an editor to fix it. <laughs> Oh, I love reading all your books, you know, bro. But, they're all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is. No, they're great. So in answer to your question, I just think that um, you can do anything. Um, you can, if you have the call to do something in you, it's just finding how to make it. And it's not always university or uh, the academic world that can actually usher you into the into the you know being fruitful with that call, it doesn't have to be that way. Sure, and um, but mm. but in later years, I would like to go and do some proper study, which I am starting to now. Um, just to really, I just do it to test myself, really. You know, yes. Do these academics <laughs> really know what they're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Oh. So yeah, you can do anything if if you're meant to do that. Your call is to do a specific thing. If you're right in that calling, then I reckon the doors actually automatically open for you to complete what you are meant to do. Yeah, no. mm. that's no, how that's I see good, it. Bro. Oh, well, awesome. Okay, so that kind of brings us up to the present. What would you like to do your next book on? Because we're talking about writing. So yeah, my next book, I'd like to finish the whale one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Get that off my computer. Um, I would like to do. There are a lot of amazing people, man, that you just that I just meet that are nobodies, but have the most amazing stories. Um, I'm. I think um, there's a gap in a number of storytelling, especially in the realm of the missionaries, like Maori, the missionaries, Maori people who were. Um, believers in faith who did great miracles. Actually, there's very little written about them, and yet there were whole generations of them. You know, and that's why I wrote Ike Samuel's story because because he was a missionary. He gave up everything to go over and live in the jungles. It's with an incredible the, read. Cannibal yeah. kind of tribes, sharks, who, and who he loved. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, oh, man. 
Yeah. Like, oh, what did you eat when you, you know he gets on a on a walker and goes across the ocean? <laughs> I said, oh, what did you eat on this? He said, oh, I just dived in the in the water and killed this dugong. I said, what's a dugong? Oh, it's like a big, massive, huge walrus. It's a sea cow. Eh? Sea cow. Yeah, yeah, and then he straps it to the the hull of the canoe and he just eats the meat off that as they're travelling across the ocean. Hey? And then the great white sharks are chomping on it at the same time, you know. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he travels from uh, the, the tip of uh, Darwin over, all the way over to Papua New Guinea through the Coral Sea on a double-hull canoe like that by, with a couple of other guys just by the stars. Yeah. You know, I mean, his story and being able to sit with him for a couple of years, you know, was... Um, Really a privilege to get all these yeah. wacky, wacky, amazing things that these Māori people would do, man. And you sit there and go, what the heck? <laughs> but who's going to tell their stories, man? Because no one knows them. You know, well, and, kia ora and tautoko, that's what mm. uh, Mangai is about uh, as well. It's yeah. trying to make um, get some of these stories up so yeah. our whanaunga, uh, whanau can uh, listen to the stories and share them around and be encouraged, you know. And, yeah, um, so Ike... The missionary guys, well, not the guys okay. of faith, you know, and people like um, Murray Thompson, you hear this name all the time. Oh, but yeah. who knows, his story's not written anywhere. Yeah, Murray yeah. Thompson, and then you've got, um, oh, Ted is still alive, Ted Wharemate uh, Tuarea, uh, I mean, he was yeah. brought up with Ratana, right. saw all his miracles. Yeah. yeah he, he just followed <laughs> faithfully what Ratana did and did all his miracles, yeah. bringing people back to life, you know, after they've died. Yeah. All of these sorts of things. But they, no one really knows their stories. Right. Right? And before those older generation pass away, man, oh, my heart is like, someone just needs to give us like $100,000 that'll be pay us some money for two years. Yeah, and total then we can goal. go around and interview all these people. So if you've got $100,000. You know, which isn't a lot, really. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for two years, I'll, I'll just travel around and interview these guys and get these stories yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, the next generation have some kind of role models um, that you know of people who did amazing things and probably shaped the way our Maori society is today. Yeah. So yeah. and, and um, yeah, well, just. Uh we just we'll close up, but I also just want to put a special shout out to your mum and dad, uh, Sandra and Granville, yeah. down in Fakatane. Much uh, aroha and love to them. Um, they do a great, a great work. And uh, those that haven't had a cup of tea, go yeah. to Commerce Street, one seven three Commerce Street. <laughs> Have a cup of tea, take some older. cameo biscuits, <laughs> yeah, and a guitar. Yeah, yeah. I'm not allowed to eat those biscuits actually. <laughs> Well, uh, Brad, tonight, um, thank you for sharing, you know, just mm. one thread in the kitty, uh, in the kete, uh, looking at writing and how that's influenced your life and uh, what you're doing in terms of encouraging others uh, through your writing. Uh, just so exciting and uh, just hope to see more people um, taking up that uh, gift as well, eh, and um, yeah. coming alongside you and, and, uh, and doing it. Um, so thanks for coming in to Tamangai. Uh, you've been listening to our Tamangai podcast. Uh, you can see it online uh, through worldpodcasts.com. Go, uh, go on there and you'll see we're uh, building up uh, quite a number of people with all sorts of stories. So no mai haramai. Brad, did you just tell us before we close up, um, how, how would people get hold of the books you've already written? Where should they be sourcing those from? 
Right, those books. So, Kamotui, um, well, my grandfather's book, Dr. Golomaka, you can't buy now because it's actually off the shelf. It all got sold out and they haven't really done a reprint. Mm. I should do another reprint, I suppose. Um, Putea for Kairo is a book that was done by Huya Publishers. So, the best thing I think is just go to your bookshop, tell them my name, and just buy every, get You have to order them. You have to order them through the bookshops. Um, Come out to where you can get on if you um, look in the bookshops or order them. Um, otherwise, um, if you want true red, you can go fly down to uh, um, Queenstown and find this tattooed Maori follower on his motorbike down in front of the airport <laughs> selling that book. <laughs> so two boys down there, and he, he does a lot of sales down there to all the tourists okay, in that book because um, we sold the rights to that book to him. Um, and the other books, you can get them um, if you order them. Go to your nearest bookshop and just order something from my name. If you order. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Brad. Uh, we'll certainly be getting you back uh, regularly. and uh, So watch out uh, for the next uh, story. Maybe the next one, uh, we'll have a little kōrero about uh, hohorongo, reconciliation. Yep. Would you like to come back and give us some insights on that? Yeah, totally. I'll look forward to that. All right, whānau, take care. Ka kite anō. Kia ora. Hatihe Mauriora, Inga Mana, Inga Rio, Ero Rangatirama. Kia ora and welcome to Māori Initiatives Podcast Show, Tamangai the Mouthpiece, in association with podcast.nz. Thanks for joining us. As each week, our guests share a part of their life's journey to Te Iratangata, improve quality of life.